G'day, it's time to talk about Australia's favourite obsession of property. My name's Jeremy Cowan, and in this episode, I get to chat with developer John Bush and his $130 million master plan development called Brickworks Park. John's been a developer for many years and been involved in a wide range of projects. And as we would expect, our conversation today leads directly back to the drivers of property. See, today, John will talk about the importance of credit and the impact on both developer and purchaser, as well as the impact of government-granted licences, because this site originally wasn't zoned residential. It's surrounded by amenities and infrastructure that have capitalised back into its land price, and while the vision of the project is to create a community where residents can live in the low-maintenance housing while having access to all the amenities that they would living in a house on a large block. It's been 100 years in the making, and to tell us all about the Brickworks project, I'd like to welcome John Bush from CDL Australia. John, welcome to Property, Australia's favourite obsession. Great, thanks Jeremy, good to be here. John, now I want to kick this uh, podcast off. You're a developer, um, and as a developer, you assume a lot of risks. There's all sorts of things that a developer you know, can get tripped over by. You could overpay for a site, you know, construction costs can blow out. You know, you've got to deal with um, changing property prices, uh, interest rate changes, changes in buyer appetite. Um, when you purchase a site, it could be contaminated or have heritage issues, permitting issues, residents compl- complain, and even as we saw in 2020, you need to face and deal with potential health pandemics. When you purchased the Brickworks site, what was your biggest concern at that particular point in time? Look, I think it's the same when you purchase any site. Um, I put it down to the three main things, and there's a lot of things after that, but I think the three main things are what you pay for the site. If you pay too much, um, you're always behind the eight ball, you're always struggling, unless the market um, kicks and and prices rise significantly that you always can't count on. I think the second item of risk is town planning risk. Um, That's it really depends on where you are. Um, in Sydney, the town planning risk is higher, but also in, in, in Brisbane and Melbourne, uh, it is a risk and, and how much GFA or saleable area you'll be able to, to put on the site. And I think the third main risk is what you sell the product for, uh, the rate per metre, the price points and that sort of thing. After that, there's a whole lot of risk. Obviously, contamination is a risk, um, but you can normally qualify that. Um, you know, the design and the, the shape of the site will enable you to, to do certain designs. Um, some sites work out better. The wider the front is, the better the units will be. Um, but those three risks are the, the main things I concentrate on when I'm looking at a site and, and the initial uh, analysis of it. I find it really interesting that your first one that you picked off is uh, land price because, you know, that's exactly, you know, as we, what this podcast is entirely about, the, the land price, the drivers and how that affects. And as you said, those other, uh, uh, those other risks, you know, I guess they come with the site, but, you know, it's just part and parcel of what you get paid for being a developer as, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Um, you, you've got to, in, in where you're looking at the site, you've got to know what your competition has paid. You've got to know the rates. I like to work on rates per saleable area or per GFA. Um, and you've just got to make sure that, um, that you're getting value for money in, in cities like Sydney sometimes. That's hard to do. Um, when, you, when you're paying for a site, I think the cycle's coming in, into it as well. Um, if you bought last year in the middle of the year, in the middle of COVID, um, you've probably got uh, you've possibly got value for money. I think if you're going to be buying a site at the end of this year or the second half of this year, you might be paying a bit more for it. So mm. when you pay a lot for a site, it always puts pressure on the feasibility. What would you say that the um, the average person has as a very common myth about being a developer? Um, to all developers are wealthy and that it's not that hard and all that. I, I think all developers who uh, do well um, fully deserve it. It's, um, 
it's a risky business. Every day um, you go to work and um, you deal with risk, you deal with issues. Um, you, most, most projects take four to five years and you're paying out money from day one, even before you buy the site, right to the end of construction and even further, and you only get paid at the very end when you've delivered your product basically defect-free. So I think um, there's a lot of, you know, I, I mentioned the risks before, but there's so many factors that go into development these days. Um, I think it is getting harder to do with, with, um, with uh, government um, laws and bylaws and infrastructure and all that, um, and safety and, and all those sorts of things. So I think, I think the role of the developer, the development manager is getting harder than say it was uh, 10 years ago. There's a lot more detail in it now. Mm. Mm. So this Brickworks project, it's not your first rodeo. Yeah. Do you want to tell listeners a little bit about yourself and your background, John? Um, I've been in, uh, in property development for over 30 years. Um, I started off um, um, selling uh, industrial real estate. I then moved into, uh, with some partners, refurbishing uh, existing blocks of units, you know, from uh, six packs up to about 24 units. Um, I then moved uh, to a company called uh, Predella in Brisbane, where we um, uh, grew the business quite substantially, um, uh, you know, up to the largest project we did, I did with them was uh, Parklands, 400 odd units. Um, I then moved to Sydney and uh, got a job with Abacus Property Group. And we did a range of projects in, in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, um, basically from 20, 20 townhouses through to a project called Ivy and Eve in Brisbane with 476 units. So I've developed um, in three cities, um, lots of different councils, um, used very, you know, there's, there's different, you know, town planning laws and slightly different construction laws in all three states. So um, different agents for different projects. So I guess I've been exposed to um, a wide variety of, of uh, property development projects. What's the most difficult problem do you think you've had to overcome on one of those projects? Um, the one look, in particular I, I think, that stands out that... Yeah, look, there's a few... Um, um, not being put on a tender list um, when we should have been and we eventually got on the tender list and then we won the, the Parklands project. That was difficult. Um, I think the most challenging thing is, is that the environment, the property environment and the economy is constantly changing and uh, if you think you can just choose a path and go down it, um, that doesn't always work. You've constantly got to be aware of what's happening in the market, what buyers are doing, and then you've got to be pretty nimble to change direction um, and, and change the way you're doing things. You know, obviously, um, the probably the most difficult part was the credit squeeze um, for borrowers that occurred with tightening regulations of the bank in 2017, and we were delivering 476 units, many of them to overseas buyers, and they just couldn't get finance. But unless they paid cash, which a lot of them did, a lot of them just couldn't settle. The banks just didn't want to know them. And at that stage, the secondary banking uh, lending options weren't as prevalent as they are now. We mainly had the big four, you know, plus maybe half a dozen others, but they basically closed up shop. So uh, a lot of um, purchases had to terminate uh, the purchase of their units and we had to resell. So that was um, a time consuming and challenging 
um, thing to do. And um, we just had to sell the units one by one. Every deal was different. And uh, we eventually got there, but it was very challenging. When people can't borrow money, it's very hard to sell property. <laughs> well, we see, I mean, I spoke to you before, just quickly before the podcast, just to, you know, I mean, the way in which we see the world is that we see property being driven by, you know, five drivers, you know, infrastructure, technology, population, government granted licenses and, and credit. And I think sometimes, you know, we see a lot of those in our everyday lives, but credit, we seem to really underestimate. And yet, to me, it's one of the biggest driver of property prices that, as you said, if you can't, as a developer, if you can't get hold of credit to purchase lot, uh, sites and yeah. to um, ensure that you can see a project from woe to go, then, I mean, nothing gets built for a start. And, and on the back end, if, if purchasers can't get hold of credit, then uh, you just you, you just can't sell anything, can you? No, it's so well, important. Credit's, credit. credit's important for the developers. There's, there's, there's two, uh, first-end mortgage, there's two, two parts now. There's the big four, and that's for them only now for either people who've had a long track record People who've got um, good equity, um, or public companies, and that the the other second tier lenders um, for construction finance, there's a number of them now. Um, but those development companies that aren't as strong, instead of paying three or four percent interest, probably have to pay eight or nine percent interest uh, for construction funding. So that's where credit affects them and affects their feasibility. Um, credit also affects um, the people buying the product. Um, and so at the moment, interest rates are low um, and, and credit compared to two years ago is available. And I think it's being deregulated even further as we speak. So um, loans will be relatively easy to get um, for people who want to buy a property. And, and I think that's what's fueled basically the owner-occupier and the houses um, around Australia going up in value, people are, are able to borrow more and the interest rate is very low. So credit um, has an important part to play and it can be, credit can be um, affected by government regulations and uh, the Reserve Bank and that sort of thing. So I think everything's going okay at the moment, but, but um, I just have one eye on potentially the Reserve Bank at some point raising interest rates. So we've got to be, uh, we've got to watch that and um, react to it when it does happen. Yeah. And as you said that, I mean, what happened over the last, you know, what from 2011, 12, when, when APRA started yeah. to really step in and, and constrict bank lending and stuff. I mean, it had an enormous impact on our economy, the credit flows, et cetera, didn't it? That, it did. Um, I mean, it's... It took a long time to um, mm. come out of that. And then we were just coming out of it in early <laughs> 20, and we hit COVID. So look, before this yeah. run of the last month or so, um, we had about three or four years of pretty tough going. Now, I'm talking overall. Some parts of Sydney have gone well, but really Brisbane and some parts of Melbourne have gone well. But Brisbane um, has has been relatively slow for four or five years. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit? So, I mean, the Brickworks project, $130 million project, yeah. um, and you're doing it, um, you know, CDL Australia is, is the company that you're working for at the moment. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, CDL? So is it City Development Limited? Are you guys true to your name? Is that City Development? Is yeah, that yeah. Look, we're, what um, you do? Yeah, we're, um, so, you know, that, that's the company that, that was formed in Australia, part of CDL Limited. Um, my association with the property goes back probably 12 or 13 years. Um, I was at Abacus Property Group when we acquired the site. Um, and we bought it because it was a large block of land five kilometres from the city. It wasn't zoned residential at the time, but we saw the, the zoning probably changing and it was 4.6 hectares, 5k from the city. That was the simple reason why we bought it. Um, about 18 months ago, um, Abacus decided to get out of residential development, so 
we of course um, the remaining uh, Abacus residential projects together and uh, CDL purchased those projects and myself and Cameron Laird went to work, open the CDL office in Australia and work for them. We had a previous association with CDL, they were a joint venture partner in a project we did together, Abacus and CDL, uh, called Ivy and Eve in Brisbane, and that was the, the uh, twin 30-level towers at South Brisbane. So we knew CDL, we knew that they wanted to come to Australia. Um, there's a lot of synergies there, predominantly a residential developer. Uh, they understand residential development, so um, they were a good uh, mix, a, a good fit to buy the projects that we had, one in Brisbane and two in Melbourne, and it's gone from there. And we're talking, so CDL um, Limited uh, is listed on the uh, Singapore Exchange. Yeah. Um, I did a little, had a little bit of a look at this. So 1963, um, they were founded, 106 locations, 29 countries, um, you know, residential office, hotel, retail. Um, it's a very, very large development company out of Singapore is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And do you want to tell us a little bit, I found this really interesting that um, – CDL uh, has this ethos of um, conserving as we construct. Do you want to talk a little bit about yeah, that look, um, and how much, yeah, what's happening in Singapore? They, they've had um, this mantra for a fair while now. They were one of the early adopters of, um, you know, being environmentally conscious and all that. They've got a division in CDL in Singapore. Um, they've done some really interesting um, things with a shopping centre up there and that. Um, they really promote the environment. Um, Singapore are a lot further progressed in conserving as we construct in the ways uh, of building material, waste, um, and just how they go about and, and specify um, materials for the building and that. Um, Australia, probably apart from a few timber frame buildings, um, and possibly some uh, subdivisions are not as advanced as they are in Singapore um, with the environmental um, considerations. Um, I think Australia, it, it comes back to the buyer and what the buyer is prepared to pay for those environmental features. Now, up until probably a year or two ago, I think the average buyer in Australia probably wasn't prepared to pay that much for environmental features. But I've seen that changing over the last, um, you know, 12, 18 months. Um, and people are more and more interested in having uh, environmental features in their um, apartment or townhome. Um, this might be um, solar, it might be um, particular types of landscaping, it might be the availability of power to um, power, the, you know, to recharge their cars. Um, it could be a whole range of things um, that people are now asking about in the sales office and I think now probably prepared to pay for it. So it, it's a little so evolve pretty quickly from here on in, I think. I want to come back to that in a little bit with regards to specifically the Brickworks project. Yes. Um, but before we do, because you've done some really interesting things there, I, I think yeah. that I want to, yeah, that I'd like to delve into. But before we do, can we just go back maybe a hundred years? Because the Brickworks projects, uh, this is a site that was. Um, uh, it was first built upon 1915, yeah, 1913. Look, it was yeah. farm, farmland before that, I think dairy and that. Um, it then, uh, the brickworks were started um, about 100 years ago. Um, it had a bit of a, you know, it stopped and started a few times because bricks weren't the predominant building material in Brisbane. Um, Brisbane houses are mainly built, built out of timber, so... The brickworks um, sort of uh, went up and down a bit. It stopped for the war, war effort. Um, and so, um, and, and then I guess the end came 
about uh, 30 years ago when it was moved out to uh, Strathpine Norton um, area, the, the brickworks, um, and it was uh, regenerated as an industrial park. Um, Bonds um, manufacturing went there. Um, and you, if you can see the progress of, of, of industry in Australia, the, the, the manufacturing industry had to move further out. Another type of industry uh, moved in there. And then that industry sort of closed down and moved offshore. And I guess the, the site was occupied by mainly service type people and, and an indoor sports centre. Um, because it wasn't really suitable for large trucks and high volumes of trucks to go into the area. You basically have to go through some back streets. So um, I guess we're lucky that it has a history. There's not many sites, residential sites that have a history. It's got an iconic chimney that can be seen, mm. you know, from, from around the inner north. Um, most people have heard of the site. Most builders um, have been there, you know, if they're probably more than 40 years old. Um, and uh, it, it's a nice thing to have a bit of history um, on the site that, that, that we're now, you know, regenerating into residential. Mm. So when you purchased the land, yeah. or Abacus purchased the land all those years ago, it wasn't... Um, permitted for residential, you said? No, look, but the, so, but the council put it in their town plan as, as they wanted to move to residential. They saw it as an yeah, ideal okay. infill site. And from our very first discussions with them, they were keen <coughs> for us to um, go that way. When it was originally purchased, was it a competitive bidding tender that you uh, over the market off, that you purchased it? No, we bought it off a property trust based on the Gold Coast that was in a bit of trouble. <clears throat> so when it was purchased, it was pre-GFC. So um, uh, probably the value um, went down a bit after GFC and yeah, it went from there. Yeah, okay. And so what was the original um, inspirational vision for the project and has it changed a lot over time? Not, not really. Um, the vision for the project, um, the, the number of units is constricted by services, um, the sewer, water, stormwater services to the site. And so we knew how many uh, products could go there. Um, the original, the, the vision hasn't changed that much. Um, I think what we can offer buyers is space and that's in privacy and that's a really hard thing to get 5k from a, a CBD. So um, we, we can offer a relatively low density, uh, the highest buildings are five, five levels, it, it's its own you know, low medium density. Um, we can offer uh, both products of townhouses and apartments. Um, we, we can offer, um, you know, a pocket parks and we have a wide variety of amenities. Now, those amenities have developed a little more over the last um, two to three years. Um, you know, wherever we have space, we've thought about how we can use that space. And I think our, my thinking then evolved to, 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 to the point of saying, I want the people who buy here to be able to do everything that you can do at your own home, in, your, in a house, you can do here at Brickworks Park. So that means you can wash your car, you can um, have a swim in a pool, you can go to the gym, um, we've got a dog park, we've got various lawns for personal training and yoga, we've got a building that can be an art studio slash workshop, um, we've got meeting rooms. So um, when they come here, people, I think they've got all the, the benefits and, and features that they can live a, a pretty interesting life and they can do lots of things in the project and they don't have to leave 
leave the code. They don't have to get, get in their car and go anywhere. So that, that was the whole idea behind it. I find this a really interesting one about that balance between the underutilised land uh, component, um, you know, balanced against, um, you know, a medium density living project that, you know, most developers would approach, you know, the land and try and jam as many dwellings on as they can. They would push the infrastructure, you know, to the limit and yeah. probably some would argue past some of those infrastructure limits. Um, in um, you know, in reach of you know further profitability. So I mean, was that hard for you to uh, weigh up that decision as to? Because I mean, w when you're talking about uh, the amenities, it, that there are, it's a it's a very impressive project of what you've done with regards to the amount of open space um, that is there. Um, you know, utilised in as you said, you know, like having a um, a dog park and an art studio and stuff. I mean, they're, they're social parts of the land, aren't they? Yeah, look, um, we were limited to the number of units and townhouses we could put there, so that, and we're limited to the heights. Look, a big feature of our project is single loaded units, so that means they don't back onto each other. We just have a back corridor and units to the front. So that's probably the main design feature of the project. We've pushed the units back against the cliffs so there's more Sorry, John, can I just pick you up on that with the with with the with the back corridors? Yeah. I mean that I mean that um, not only does does that mean that there's privacy, but it also uh, means that there's much better airflow yeah, through those well, units too, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that's look, um, that one of the environmental things, we get cross flow ventilation and we get light into the units from each end. So most of our units have a front courtyard where you enter or a back courtyard where you enter and a, and a front veranda. So um, there's, there's balconies at each end of the unit and there's sliding doors at each end of the unit. So you get lots of cross flow and lots, lots of natural light. That, that's a bit unique. Some other projects have them, but not many. Um, most units, you've got to have units on both sides of the corridor. So you only get natural light at the front. So that's probably our main feature compared to a lot of our competitors. Um, and then, you know, for example, the, the, the truck turning area for the garbage collection, you know, that's used about, you know, twice a week for 10 or 15 minutes. So in that area, we've put um, car washing, dog washing, bike washing, we've put a basketball hoop and a netball ring. So that area can be utilised not just for 20 minutes a week, but that can be utilised for various activities, you know. Um, and then we've nestled into sort of an amphitheatre at the back of the site. It's not really suitable for units. We've, we've utilised the pool and the gym and a sort of a lounge barbecue area that will have surrounding cliffs and, and, and be a bit unique in its field. So we're able. It's a beautiful backdrop. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Those cliffs are a beautiful backdrop, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. look, cliffs are quite uh, are interesting. Um, we've got to stabilise them, but um, it'll be a really interesting backdrop that, that can be lit at night and, and that sort of thing, and, and probably noise wise not affect too many people. You know, I think that's our, our building, you know, some of our buildings are up to 100 metres from the street, so it's not as if, you know, uh, you know, that they're quite private and, and uh, that the houses behind them are a fair way back as well. So it's a bit unique, um, this site, um, so close to the city. What's the biggest challenge so far you've had to overcome with this uh, project? Um, probably town planning. Um, it took a long time to get through council. Um, we had some objectives, um, only a few, but, but they held us up probably for two, two and a half years. Um, overall, we did community consultation. The local what was their main objective? What, what, was, what was their issue? They, they with, didn't with want the change. They wanted um, a part of our land want, to be dedicated. They wanted the brickworks. They wanted you to start making bricks back well, then, didn't they? No. Um, they wanted part of the <laughs> site to be dedicated as a park um, and not to be built on. And that was a large part of the site and it was a bit unrealistic. Um, so we have had to deal with those people for a number of years. Overall, the, um, the, the 
local community has been in favour of us. It puts a good quality of product into their area. Um, in stage three, you know, we'll have a little cafe on the street. Um, and that's what the majority of people ask for. They wanted a local cafe, <laughs> funnily enough. Yeah, right. Um, so, um, and it's not over, it's not overdeveloped. Um, so I think it will fit really nicely into the community. There's a lot of construction going on in Brisbane. Um, well, I think there's a lot of infrastructure Queen. construction. I don't think there's there's um, too many units yeah. developed at the moment. I mean, the cranes compared to three or four years ago, there's hardly any. It's mainly yeah, I yeah. That's a good pickup actually, because I meant actually when I was talking construction, I was I was thinking infrastructure. I'm thinking. You know, Queen's Wharf, Cross yeah. River um, Rail, uh, Brisbane Live, the um, Victoria Park redevelopment, um, the potential now um, looks like Brizzy or Queensland is, a, a, you know, likely to hold the uh, Olympics in uh, 2032. Um, yet all that creates pressure um, with regards to obtaining labour. How, as a developer, you know, you're purchasing these sites so far out um, and you've got so many things that are changing. How, how do you price in, you know, changing in labour costs and, and how has that affected this, you know, the, the construction process for Brickworks? Yeah, look, that's, that's always a challenge. Construction prices go up and down according to demand. Um, they've been quite low for the last couple of years, but I think they will increase. I think they'll increase... Um, because of uh, the house and land um, boom, I guess, that we've had in the last six months. Um, that's probably uh, pulled a lot of tradesmen um, from commercial um, areas to the, the, the house building. Um, I think the, the infrastructure projects are, are taking a lot, and I think um, the casino and that, um, there's a lot of trades on that as well. So, look, we're expecting um, prices to rise sometime this year, and I guess we we just have to uh, we have to deal with it. Um, and interesting, uh, house prices have definitely jumped ahead in Brisbane, uh, as they have in Sydney and Melbourne. But um, unit prices at the moment have been slow to follow, but they must follow because the gap between house prices and unit prices is widening. And yeah. that gap can only be so wide, it's eventually got to close up. So I think we're expecting unit prices to rise this year. That will help with construction prices, but it's a delicate balancing act um, where you've got to keep an eye on pricing, you've got to keep in touch with your QS, you've got to keep in touch with builders um, and just gauge how much work how much work they've got and find out... Um, you know, what subcontractors are doing and that sort of thing. I think in these busy times also uh, material suppliers, um, steel, concrete, those sorts of things tend to go up. They take advantage of the market. So um, I think there's going to be plenty of construction work in Queensland um, for workers for the next few years. Yeah. You mentioned... When you first spoke about the site, you, you mentioned uh, the thing that really attracted uh, you to the site originally was its proximity to the city, yeah. right? that 5Ks. I mean, it's surrounded by, you know, beautiful suburbs, you know, Newmarket, Ashgrove, Grange, Stafford, Everton Park, etc. I mean, talking 15 minutes on the, um, uh, on the train yeah. to the city. Um, what's for this project? What's your target market? Who do you see living in this project? Yeah, well, that's um, we, we always thought um, it's probably, and this has changed in the last um, year, but it's probably going to be 80 to 85 percent owner occupiers. That's the first point. Um, I think it's downsizers who live in the area or have had something to do with the area. They might have grown up there, they might have had relatives there. They've got some association with those suburbs around Wilston, uh, Newmarket, Windsor, um, Grange, all those suburbs. So 
their downsizes, their, you know, 50 to predominantly 50 to early 60s, um, they're the, the, the main buyer. We also are attracting um, some first home buyers um, who see that they'd like to live in, in the sort of environment that we've created. They probably have to choose, to, and they might be able to afford a unit in Newstead, nor might they want to live there. We're only 10 minutes away. Um, so the first home buyers, um, I guess another category of buyers is, is um, divorcees that you know, may have had to sell a family home but want to stay in the area. Uh, they can't afford another house. And so um, you know, they might buy a, a two or a three bedroom unit. And I think as we, we haven't had the young professional yet, but I think we will get them as we get closer to completion of the project because we've had a lot of people say, we love it, we want to live here, but we want something now or we want something in six months' time. So um, yeah, right. as we, and the younger people tend to want to do things quickly <laughs> um, and, and not wait two years. That most of the well, they haven't got time on their hands, have they, John? They haven't. <laughs> got to get it done now. That's right. <laughs> so... Um, we still think we'll get some of them because the offering in the market is, is not great. Uh, a lot of the first home buyers, and this is a, an emerging trend of being helped by their parents. Um, well, I think that's why there's less investors in the market these days. Most investors are 50 to 60 years old. They go and buy, once they've paid off the house, they go and buy an investment property. Now they're going, Will I go and buy an investment property or will I help my kid get into the property market? So most of the first-time buyers and parents are with them. And um, I think the parents are very comfortable with the product we have and can see their children living there safely and maybe not have to move in a year or two, you know, if they have kids yeah. in that. So yeah. that, that's really an emerging market. Um, that both the parents and the people buying have to be happy with, with the product they're buying. So they're the, they're the main categories that we have. Um, I think also we'll attract um, an owner, an older buyer, who might be thinking between uh, a retirement village and, and a unit. They might not like the idea of a retirement village, but they want some sort of community. They want... And I think what yeah. we'll provide is a, um, a community of, of, of various age groups. I think if you want a community, you've got to have from young people to older people because yeah. that all works in better. You know, there, there might be people who want to babysit. There might be people who want a dog sit. Mm. There might be people who want to uh, do a fitness class or, uh, you know, uh, tinker around in the vegetable garden or the, you know, the art studio. So... I think I think that's what we're aiming to attract a wide variety of age groups. Yeah. Do you find as a developer it's difficult selling off the plan that that when people walk through the door they uh, you have your models and your showrooms and stuff but at the end of the day a lot of people have difficulty visualizing yeah. you know lines on a piece of paper as to what it's going to be how how big is this room going to be you know will my couch fit in it and will I be able to walk around it and you know how will it flow do, do you do you find that's you know that people do struggle with yeah, that and how do you overcome they that they do um, they struggle with that um, also in a slow market um, last year it was hard going every sale was hard hard one um this year is going a bit better. Um, but, yeah, people, although, look, I must admit that the downsizers are, are pretty well educated. Um, I think in Brisbane, um, a lot of them, even if they don't live in a unit, they're probably holidayed in, in a unit at the coast uh, most years, or they might own a unit at the coast. Um, and so I think they have a reasonable idea of the size and, and can read a plan and we try and put our marketing material out there that's informative and gives them as good an idea as we can uh, what we're providing. We don't have a sample unit, we just have a sample kitchen and bathroom. Um, but the, 
salespeople have to spend a fair bit of time. That you know, it, it probably is, is up to uh, you know two, three, four meetings per sale at least, and um, the owner occupies know what they want, and um, sometimes they want changes made and that. So we've got to uh, accommodate that, and uh, we've got to listen to what they say and. We're quite lucky having a number of stages because we can use that feedback um, of what people are saying in our next stage, which is what we're doing now. We're, we're doing um, the, we're into the design of the second stage and we're making subtle changes according to feedback. So by the time the third stage comes around, it's not to say our designs aren't good in stage one, but markets change, we, we tweak things. so. Um, We've got some good ideas for stage two and we've got some even better ideas for stage three, particularly in the common facilities. Yeah. Well, one thing that's certainly not going to change is the location of the dirt. Yeah. And, I mean, it is a wonderful location. You know, you're just looking off your, you know, some of your material, you're 400 metres from the bus stop, 700 metres from the train, um, 15 minutes to the CBD, you're surrounded by bike tracks, walking tracks, Coles, Woolies, Aldi, Bilo, um, Newmarket Village, um, Adelaide Plaza, etc. You've got hospitals, Northwest, Royal Brisbane, universities within a couple of Ks, etc. And, uh, and all the amount of other facilities um, that you've got, you know, cafes, restaurants and, and um, uh, entertainment stuff. But, you know, what's the future... In such a in an area that's that's so well located, what's the likelihood of, of the future supply in the area? There's not a lot of supply in the area. There's not a lot of large sites in in Alderley. Not a lot of zone for for apartments and townhouses. Basically, the Brisbane City Council have closed down the townhouse development uh, within ten k of the city. Um, the other one you didn't mention was Victoria Park Golf Course, and um, it's going to be converted to a park. I think that's probably the most exciting project. Um, but um, there's not a lot of large sites, so I guess developers in these areas can build, you know, 15 or 20 on a large site and they just can't put the facilities we have, you know, there's just going to be the units and that's it. Um, we, we're, because we're, that's the benefit of an established suburb, it's been established over 100 years with sporting clubs, uh, retail and all that sort of thing. and um, it's all there, so um, not a lot has to be, you know, redeveloped and it's all established businesses and that sort of thing. So, look, we're lucky from that point of view that the transport that, that's hopefully being used more and more, um, we've got two, two railway stations and, and bus. It's got good access to the, you know, the North Coast highways and roads. Um, you can be in, in Newstead, New Farm in 10 minutes on, on the weekend for a river walk. You can be in the new Victoria Park, you know, in, in seven minutes. Um, we've got some large employers like Royal Brisbane Hospital nearby. Um, so, um, yeah, we, we see the, the, the area as um, having plenty of facilities and most of the um, owner, Downsizes, owner occupies. We don't have to sell them on the on the on the location. They just come in. They go. We know the location. You know, then you just move yeah. on to the product. You know, we don't have to sell. We do have. Look, funnily enough, we've had people from the country, all parts of Queensland, some Sydney people, and all that. You've got to spend a bit more time with them on educating them. And we've even had Southside people move to the North Side, which is great. And and uh, I really like it when that happens. Because normally in Brisbane they don't cross, they don't cross the river. Is that right? Yeah, they're either north north siders or south. Don't cross the river. <laughs> they don't cross the river normally, so I'm really happy when we get um, someone who's crossed the river. Yeah, right. Can I ask you, after all of that, yeah. what do you love most about this Bricks Works project? Um, I like the fact that, that it's got space. That's the first thing I say. Um, it's got space. I, I think what we've tried to create is a new generation of apartment and townhouse living with the amenities that we have. Um, and I, I think the third thing is, is that we've got a number of stages that um, we can keep refining 
um, the design and, and keep um, providing people with the size property, the size apartment or townhouse that they want. It, it sort of, it's it's all the land. It has a price point still. You, you can't be you can't go overboard. You can't create penthouses and and huge three bedroom units for millions of dollars. You know our market is predominantly under a million dollars, and um, there you know we have to provide as good a product as we can for the market. Um, and I think. I think we're doing that from the response we've had in our launch um, um, in, in mid-February. Um, we've got a lot of interest, a lot of interest in the townhomes. Uh, stage one is just about sold out. A lot of interest in the three betters, and we've sold a number of one betters and the two betters. Those sales will gather momentum as the project moves on. But, you know, uh, I think those three things I mentioned are the, the main things that, that we can provide. We, we've provided a good quality of architecture with um, Rothy Lohman and we've, we've spent a lot of time on the landscaping with 360. And um, I think we've picked an agent who understands owner-occupiers, position property. They understand owner-occupiers, they understand the north side. Um, and they've been um, very helpful with the unit and product design. We involved them along that path. With that, I can't believe I let this one slip before. Um, but the landscaping is actually, we, we spoke about the, the open spaces and how you've incorporated it, but the landscaping is really important too. And yeah. I just wanted to, was that done under the single architectural firm or was that yeah, done that, separately? It's done by a, a firm called uh, 360. They're, they've got offices in Sydney and, um, and, and Brisbane. Um, I saw they do, um, they're quite innovative. They do all the landscaping for Justin Hems and his, all his hotels. And um, in Sydney, they've done a, um, there's a um, hotel uh, called the Newport Arms Hotel which is probably three or four acres. And um, right. it's really eclectic mix of, of landscaping. It's, it's not um, the hedge style landscaping and formal landscaping. It's more eclectic. I think it's more modern. And I think it, um, it, it will, it, they select the plants that will sort of survive, you know, drought, drought time. Um, and yep. it probably yep. doesn't have to be manicured every week. Um, yeah. And it can just grow. Um, so they've been really good with their ideas and, and you know how they've approached it, and we've um, we've enjoyed working with. They they recently recently um, another project they've done is is a riverside centre's redevelopment of the landscaping around the building. So um, they've done a lot of interesting projects, and I think they um, they listen to us and, and bring a point of difference. Yeah, right. Has um, has COVID had a big impact on the project? Yeah, it did. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, last year was really difficult. Um, it, it was two ways it was difficult. Um, it's difficult, um, I think, working with architects when you can't meet with them. Um, everything tends to take a bit longer. Um, I think architectural practices work well when the manager is probably circulating the office and having short one-minute and five-minute conversations. Yeah. Tend, things tend to flow a bit better. And it was really difficult um, putting together all the marketing material. And I think that's how those sort of companies work too. I think there's a lot of circulation of staff and short conversations that that uh, determine a direction and can complete a task. And so that was hard. So all last year, you know, we got everything ready. We, we sort of had a pre-release. Uh, basically all of us just sitting at home and that was really hard. Um, I think the other part of it was, is that basically when you couldn't sell, you couldn't open a display office. Um, and uh, people were very nervous. They were nervous to go out um, and mix 
with other people and they were nervous to make decisions about buying their future home for the next 10 or 15 years. So um, altogether, it, it was a challenging period, but probably what it did around Australia is create some pent-up demand and I think it also made people think about where they live and how they want to live. So I think the property market is, is seeing the benefits of that now. Do you think that um, uh, there will be long-lasting effects from COVID within the property industry with regards to how people live and work? Um, or do you think that as over the next year or two that, that the COVID pandemic is uh, dealt with from a health point of view, that we will just return more to our way of living um, oh, I, and consequently... I think it will change how, uh, how we live. And, and look, I think the typical worker may go into work three or four days a week eventually and probably stay at home one or two days a week. I think that people want um, options where they set their computer up, not, not just in their bedroom. Um, yep. So I think there's got to be some places in, in your apartment or your townhome where you can set up a computer. And well, one of the main things is, is if there's more than one person at home, where they can do Zoom calls, um, yeah. which yeah. people do all, it's no good doing at the dining room table, which is right near the mm. kitchen, um, which affects everyone in the house. The... What else? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So people walking behind or kids or whatever. So I, I think people want to identify some spaces that you can maybe close off temporarily when you have a Zoom call and open it up when you don't have a Zoom yeah. call. Um, my daughter complained continually about me being on the phone during COVID, you know. <laughs> so I guess she just locked her bedroom door, but, you know, she still said uh, she could hear me. But... Um, I think people think about that. So what we're doing, we're, we're in stage three, we're going to put more meeting rooms. So everything from phone booth type rooms to small meeting rooms to large meeting rooms. So if people want to work from home, um, they might get sick of sitting in their unit. They can go down to a meeting room and work from there for the day with or with, you know, a work colleague might come over or... If they're studying at uni, um, they can go down there with, with other people or if they're just studying for school, they can, they can do that uh, and not necessarily be in the unit or town home. So <clears throat> we think um, the, the co-working spaces, providing desks in various size rooms is, um, will be a feature that people will like. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right there, certainly about that idea of being able to open and shut areas out and I know myself I mean you know we're pretty lucky we're in a you know big size block and etc here um, in Adelaide but I still do like having a change of environment I have to say yeah. um, going and working in, a, in another room or another location etc I, I just find it you know it just kind of opens your mind a little bit more you, you come up with different ideas that rather than you know sitting and seeing things in the from the same perspective yeah look i know the ivy eve um, project we did in brisbane and south brisbane um, a lot of people did come with a, a level five community facility area uh, with pools and gyms and barbecue areas and all that and people did come down just with their computer just to sit outside just to have a different yeah. environment yep. and our sort of uh dining room, a meeting room facility got used all the time. So yeah. from that I've learned that we needed um, we needed more meeting rooms. Um, so you're constantly talking to the managers and, and that about you know what was good and uh, what what was maybe uh, how we could improve on the next project. And, and that's if you're doing a lot of projects, um, that's the benefit mm. of doing them. You can you can do a debrief and say, well, how can we do the next one better? Well, you've got a few coming up, haven't you? Um, We've got the, um, yeah. Yeah, so the, 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 the maker in West Melbourne, you've got Smith Street and Fitzroy, uh, Macaulay Road, North Melbourne. So 
much more of a Melbourne-based focus. But yeah. uh, those projects obviously aren't going to have the land content, so uh, um, they'll be quite different to to this project. Yeah, look, um, the marker in, um, in West Melbourne, it, it has some nice courtyard areas and that. Um, Fitzroy... Uh, it's not as large a project. I guess it relies on the excitement. We're at the end of the uh, retail strip. Um, it relies on, I guess, a lot of uh, the action there. But um, we will have um, some community areas. And look, um, we're doing things like the parcel lockers, um, you know, charging cars. Um, if we haven't got a lot of room, we still want to bring um, convenience and um, mm. features to the project that, that people are going to need in the future. So um, we're thinking about that um, a fair bit and, and uh, also, you know, the materials we use that, that um, will last and, and be hard-wearing and that sort of thing. Mm. I just want to change tack just quickly and ask you a little bit about... Um, you got a bit of interest in the buy to rent accommodation yeah, sector. Yeah. Do you want to explain that concept to listeners? Look, the build to rent um, is an evolving in Australian property worldwide, actually. Um, we're a little bit behind probably the UK and, uh, and America. Um, it will fill a void because there's not a lot of um, stock being brought on at the moment in, in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. Um, it sits as a specialist rental product um, and it will have, I guess, its features will be um, location, um, good design, um, great amenities and probably style of management. Um, it, it, it will be an emerging asset class for the, the REITs and that and, and new trusts being created um, and it'll really focus on um, what I guess predominantly younger people probably from 25 to 40 what they want in a rental product so they want the ability to have longer lease terms they want you know less bond um, ability to maybe personalize their unit a little bit um, and then I guess these projects will try and create a community feel by a lot of common facilities. Um, so, and they'll be generally larger so that they can provide the facilities and the management and all that. So I see them as an important part of the property scene, you know, moving forward and we're looking at, at, at sites in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane for that. So we think, Sydney Delaware well positioned. They've got a, a deep history of residential development. They own a hotel chain, 140 hotels around the world. Um, and they own various manage, residential management companies. So they're ideally suited to move into this type of property. Hmm. It'll certainly be a bit of a watch this space, I think, um, that build to uh, rent accommodation sector. Yeah. Um, and as you said, it certainly... You know, we, we're not there yet. We seem to be, you know, play a little bit of catch-up here in Australia. I guess that's come from our heritage, doesn't it, of you know, having such – yeah, correct. Yeah, that, that idea of, um, um, you know, owning your land, quarter-acre blocks, et cetera, that's kind of the heritage of which we come from. So it's, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time to turn the ship. Yeah, but I think it is turning. I, I think um, the young people want to live in certain locations that will give them quality of lifestyle. They um, are probably delaying having families, delaying buying a property. But people who go into these properties, they might have an investment property. You know, a lot of people can't afford Sydney, so they might have an investment yeah. property in Brisbane or, or somewhere like that. Um, and not all that concept of rent vesting for for the younger younger generation. I mean, it's I think personally, it's a super important one that. Um, uh, that they need to really be thinking about um, because, as you said, you know, a lot of the times they can't afford to purchase exactly where they want to live, um, but that rent vesting at least gets them started, creates a portfolio, etc. And with interest rates so low, um, 
you know, it doesn't have to be uh, an expensive exercise for them. No, they can, they can select a unit or a townhouse or a house. Um, they can do their research, you know, where they think it will perform the best, um, the markets that are moving the most. Um, and then with low interest rates, you know, you can start to pay down the debt pretty quickly. Um, mm. I think the other factor is that people, that probably car ownership is dropping. Um, with people in that um, age group. And so living in a good location is, is probably more important. And, you know, uh, community cars for these facilities um, will become available and go get cars and all that sort of thing. So I think there's a combination of things that are, that are working there. Um, and... Um, I think that's why it's reasonably important the location of these these products that, that mm. people in that age group yeah. and demographic uh, need to want to live there, and and probably transport is important so that they can get to work not just in the city but you know um, the other uh, business nodes you know developing around our cities. Well, John, we've had a pretty decent sort of chat here and I guess especially about the Brickworks project. Is there any parting words you'd like to leave with our listeners? Um, look, um, it's, it's been good going through it with you. Um, I think that, um, you know, the, the property industry um, has some re reasonably challenging times ahead. Um, you're, you're always juggling, you know, buying sites, construction pricing and, uh, and sale prices. Um, I think it's um, a little bit harder for new younger companies to, to enter the industry um, at the moment. Um, obtaining capital is, is, is very important. Um, and um, it, 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 particularly in Sydney, it's hard, harder than starting off on small projects. So, um, but I think, look, it's, it's, it's an exciting industry. It's um, a great industry to be in. I've enjoyed, I enjoy coming to work every day. Um, and um, so, you know, I'd encourage anyone who likes property to, to look into it and give it a go. Oh, it's a fantastic industry, isn't it? It's, um, I guess that's the, the whole point of our podcast, yeah. Property Australia's favourite obsession. I mean, I think we've all... We've all got a little bit of, we're all a little bit obsessive about property, aren't we? We are. I mean, it is, it is a talking point when people gather, you know, whether it you know, be for a cup of coffee after training or a barbecue or where you meet someone, you know, you, you, you try and find out where they are in the property scene and, and that. So, uh, yeah, it's always interesting. It's always changing too. At the moment, I think the cycles are shorter and there's more th things that affect it. So you've got to be on your toes and you've got to keep you, you never stop learning um, you know what's happening and talking to other developers and people in the industry I think it's important to uh, and it's good what you're doing um, you've got to be prepared to never stop learning and you, you, you can never know it all uh, Frank Lowy it's half the final. Uh, was uh, often quote in his books he, he asked the most basic questions at meetings and everyone was thinking, gee, I wish I'd, I'd, I'd ask that question. So he always asks really basic questions and uh, if he didn't understand anything. Yeah, no, it, it, you always got to keep learning. That's half the fun of life, I reckon. John Bush of CDL Australia, it's been a pleasure chatting with you about your iconic Brickworks project. Um if you want to know more information about the project, I'll, of course, put some links in the show notes um, for you. Uh, John, if people want to get in touch with you directly, how's the best way for them to go about it? Um, if they want to get in touch with me, um, uh, we've got a CDL Australia website. The contact details are on there, so they're most welcome to contact me uh, on email. They'll definitely be in the show notes also for anyone who uh, wants to get in touch with John. Let's wrap it up there. If you've been a part of our community for a while, I've got to say a big thank you to you all. Of course, we'd love to help you on your property journey. So 
feel free to get in contact with us with your questions, queries. You know, we'd love to help. And that, of course, includes uh, any questions you might or any interest you might have about the Brickworks project. Um, don't forget to like, subscribe, or leaving us a rating or review for Property Australia's favourite obsession. John, thanks again for joining me. It's been a lot of fun and very interesting. Thanks, Jeremy. It was good fun too. I've been your host, Jeremy Cowden, and until next time, let's keep obsessing about property. Any opinions or recommendations expressed should be considered general in nature, as they do not consider your personal objectives or financial circumstances. History and past performance do not guarantee future performance. Jeremy Cowden and Cowden & Flack Proprietary Limited are authorised representatives of PGW Financial Services, Proprietary Limited, AFSL 384713.